I've had the privilege of being in and around banking for more than 50 years. Lots of changes during that time. We've gone from ledgers to laptops, typewriters to technology. One thing, however, remains the same. Banking is a people business, and I'll be talking with those people that make banking great here on Jack Rats with Modern Bankers. Welcome to Jack Rants with Modern Bankers, brought to you by RELPRO and Vertical IQ. Each week I feature top voices in financial services, from bankers and consultants to best-selling authors and many more. The goal of this program is simple, to provide insights, success practices, and to bring new ideas to the table that you can use to maximize your results. My guest today is David Kurgeon. Dave founded Master Messaging in 2012. He earned a BS degree in industrial engineering from Clemson University, but don't let that analytical major confuse you. Dave is a great sales trainer and a terrific storyteller. His new book, 6X, Convert More Prospects to Customers, is completely aligned with my belief in the importance of great questions within a framework of trust-based selling. You will very much enjoy my session with Dave Kurgeon, my latest guest on Jack Rants with Modern Bankers. Here we go. Dave and I were talking about getting into business and he's been in business 11 years, but, um, and, and wrote this great book that we want to talk about today. But I always like to start, Dave, with, with uh, something around, tell me something good. And the reason I do that is I work with a bank that where where the manager always regional manager in business banking always says uh, for every pipeline meeting before anything else all the numbers are talked about tell me something good i love to start out that way so tell me something good well something good in the world that we live in today especially with uh, what's what's going on with the the world economies the sales profession is going to continue to shine and and the reason for that you know i hear a lot of uh, you know, comments around artificial intelligence and chat GPT, and this is going to threaten the sales profession. But Jack, you and I both know, based on the number of years that we've been in the sales profession, that things don't get done in the business world unless two human beings can agree on something. And so the good news is, is that the sales profession should and will continue to be held in high regard because it's going to take sales professionals uh, to bring, again, two organizations, two companies together and, and to solve problems inside of those organizations. And the other good thing about that is that if sales professionals will dare to be a little bit different or unique and, and really invest in their profession, don't, don't just show up every day and do the th same thing that you did the day before. You know, read books on sales professions, read on how you can be creative in the way that you communicate the value of your product and service. So there's a lot of good around the sales profession if you just look for it and, and again, apply yourself in a way that, uh, you know, it just really brings out the excellence in, in your role. And I, and I would add to that, and you you work in different industries than, than I do, but I would add to that, that if you can do what you just expressed, read more books, practice, and use a lot of the tools that are in your book, um, uh, you'll stand out because most salespeople are fairly mediocre at what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's unfortunate because the sales profession can be one of the most creative professions 
in the business world if the sales professional will just see it that way and then take the time to, again, be unique in the way that, uh, you know, they, they carry out their role. It's true. Well, the fact is you got to execute and and this is an interesting economy to execute in and you work in a variety of different industries from a, from a salesperson's perspective in this economy, what are you seeing? What's happening out there? You know, uh, Certainly, I'm seeing some companies uh, hold on to their money, um, not not spending as much as they might in in and again in an economic upturn. Uh, but going back to what you heard me say, you know, just a few minutes ago, the sales profession is still going to uh, continue to thrive and and be unique. So I I think the um, the the things that sales professionals need to focus on is really the uh, value that's represented in their product and service. They have to be really, really clear about the challenges that their prospects face and their unique ability to solve those challenges. And the temptation is, is to talk a little too much about what their product is and does, and not so much about what it means to the person that they're having a conversation with. So in today's world, when you know ec economic times are tough and companies are holding on to uh, more of their money and budgets are tight, it really is on the sales professional to be that much better in communicating their value. Because when value is communicated, you get the price point that you're asking for, and you also can create a sense of urgency for your prospect wanting to have that product or service sooner. And one of the ways to do that is to read your book, uh, 6X, um, and, and uh, Convert More Prospects to Customers. It's an interesting title. And, and by the way, it's a great book. Uh, you know, it's all, more, I got it all marked up and stuff. It's, it's very, very good. But I'm, I'm always curious of how people decided to write this book. But I want to combine that with another question. Yeah, it's an interesting title and there must have a, you must have a meaning for the 6X. Yeah, the um, uh, the six X goes to um, one of the first clients that we worked with, where we did a custom training engagement. So the first three years, again, uh, Master Messaging was founded about eleven years ago. The first three or four years, we did off the shelf training, just same for every company. Uh, bumped up against a, a CRO for a software company here in Atlanta that um, had a big problem, and the problem was they were only converting about eight percent of the initial conversations into the next stage of the sales process, which by the way, you should be seeing somewhere between 40 to 50%. That, that, that would be more of the industry standard. And so what we did is we created a custom program using the principles that are in the book and applied it specifically to their software and the personas and individuals that they had to have a conversation with. After we trained them around that uh, custom program, the next quarter, their conversion rate went from 8% to 47%. So they saw a six-time uh, 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 conversion, if you will, in that conversion rate. Um, and obviously, that's going to have a ripple effect as you go throughout the entire uh, sales process. If you've got almost half of those initial conversations going into the next stage, again, it's just going to play out to more revenue. So that's where the title of the book came from. Well, that's interesting. Let's talk about that next stage and what you're seeing in uh, bank, not bankers, but other industries tracking this whole process. 
you know, obviously there are some very large CRM systems and scorecarding and things like that. But I find in banking that people many times still look at numbers of calls made and number of sales made. But in between all of those are coaching moments and coaching opportunities. And when you talk about converting 6X, there's got to be a way for you to measure it. How, how are you and your clients measuring those kinds of things so that coaching can take place to move this ball down the field? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. You would you would think that most um, uh, CROs or VPs of sales would be very maniacal about knowing what their numbers are. But Jack, the client that we worked with initially, that again, the story that you, you just heard, they're, they're, they were so much of a, a rarity. So what they did is they looked at the different stages of the uh, the, the buying process. Uh, and for, again, an example with a software company, it's typically a discovery call. You're trying to communicate the value uh, and your ability to solve a problem in the prospects world. But you're also trying to figure out, are they really a prospect? Mm-hmm. I mean, are, are they really a good fit for, for what we do? So that's all trying to happen in that initial 30 to 45 minute conversation. The next step is typically a proof source. And in the software world, that would be a demonstration, a software demonstration. From there, you would go to the scope of work. Okay, so you understand the value, you understand how the software works and what it would look like in your world. All right, so how is that gonna play out inside of your organization? What's the scope of that? So for uh, sales leaders, they really need to be clear about what are the necessary steps that the salesperson is going to have to walk through to consummate a sale. And if you're tracking it inside of a CRM, you'll be able to see, hey, for X number of deals that were thrown into the funnel, um, 80% of them resulted in a first call. Uh, Of those, 50% resulted in a software demo. And so as you track these things in a CRM, to your point, Jack, as a sales leader, you can see, wait, we just got we we got uh, 80% of our leads to a software demo, and then it just dropped. Mm-hmm. They just went away. Well, that would be an indication of an ineffective software demo. And so we need to look at what the salespeople are actually doing and saying. And more times than not, again, in the software world, here's what happens. The software engineer gets so excited about the fact that they have a prospect that's actually interested in their software, they show them everything. It's like, hey, we do this and we do that. And and all the prospect is really interested in is proof to me that the value that you communicated in the first conversation is actually real. Just just prove it to me. And there's also ways to continue to to build uh, value, the perception of value uh, in in a software demo. So if you're tracking the numbers, you can see where deals are falling off, where there's problem spots, and then you can provide specific coaching around, okay, here's how we need to improve this stage of the sales process so we can get more deals through the funnel. And, and what you just talked about is metrics that matter. If, if yeah. you've got, so, if people are making a software demo and then everything drops off and you don't, your close rate is very low, is it the demo? Is it how it's demoed? But we won't know that until a sales manager goes out on a joint call and, and actually sees it for himself or herself. Um, right. Well, let's talk about time. Um, you talk in the book about a Gartner research study that basically said that, that buyers spend about 17% of their time with salespeople. 
And right. in the buying process, they're spending a lot of other time with other things like research, et cetera. What, what does that mean for salespeople today? Well, it means they need to be more prepared. Uh, again, going back to something that you heard me say at the outset of our uh, conversation today, uh, sales professionals do themselves a disservice if they just show up and go, hey, I'm going to do exactly what I did in the last call. And so by being prepared, here's what I mean. You need to be very clear about the challenges and the problems that the person that you're going to have a conversation with is experiencing in their world. And you also need to be very clear about your unique ability to solve those problems. And in that first, in, in that first conversation, since only about 17% of the time is going to be spent by the buyer actually interacting with salespeople, what they're trying to figure out is what is your uniqueness? How are you different from the other companies that I'm talking to? So you, you have to be laser focused around communicating those challenges and communicating your unique ability to solve those challenges. And don't talk about other things because in the volume of information, the most important things get lost. And so, yeah, I mean, it really comes down to preparation. You got to be prepared. You've got to take advantage of that little bit of time that you have with a prospect and make sure that you do your best in communicating the unique value that you represent to them. No doubt. Uh, and, and that leads to one other thing you talk about in the book, which is three behaviors that challenge salespeople today. What are they and what can be done about them? Yeah, I, you know, uh, I put that under the category of sales professionals behaving badly. And, and I love it when, I, when, I, when I'm doing workshops and facilitating workshops, I look at the room and I go, hey, you all have been sold to. Give me some examples of sales professionals behaving badly. And they typically hit on all uh, the, the three that are, are documented in the book. So the first one is uh, we have a tendency to share way too much information. And there's, there's actually a biological reason for that. As human beings, when we meet somebody for the first time, we're most comfortable when we're talking about something that we're passionate or knowledgeable about. And for sales professionals, that's their product or service that they represent. So you get somebody to raise their hand and they, they say, yeah, David, I'm interested in learning more about your product or service. And here's what happens. As you start talking about the thing that you're passionate about, the product or company that you represent, dopamine starts dripping on your brain and the dopamine makes you feel good. So it can cause a dopamine or drug induced feature dump where you just share a lot of information about what your product is and does. Now, it goes back to something you heard me say just a minute ago. In the volume of information, the most important things get lost. So one of the principles that uh, comes out in some of the coaching that I do for executives, because every now and then I'll be, be asked to coach an executive on a preparation for a really important uh, speech or, prep, uh, or uh, presentation. And so I always ask the uh, executive, what's the single most important thing you want the audience to walk away with? What do you want them to remember? And then I coach them around, hey, as you're building out the content, ask yourself this question, is what I'm getting ready to include in the content going to support that most important thing or take away from it? So mistake number one is just sharing way too much information. Again, be laser focused on the problem that you can solve and your unique ability to do that. So the second challenge, again, this is sales professionals behaving alike. Um, put yourself in the position of a uh, buyer and 
Um, think about the fact that they've probably reached out to three to four companies that can solve their problem. And so they show up on a Zoom call or the salesperson actually shows up in a conference room. And what, what happens? They pull up a PowerPoint presentation and they start going through this PowerPoint presentation in the way that they're communicating with the prospect. If I were a buyer, I would put a gun to my head and just, I, I, I would be so frightened. I mean, I'm like, I got to do another one of these where I'm sitting and I'm being presented to. And so uh, mistake number two is that sales professionals, they're not doing anything unique or different to stand out from the crowd, or they're not really representing the uniqueness of their product or service. So here's one unique thing that almost no sales professionals do in today's world. Using Zoom or Microsoft Teams, did you know there's, there's an ability to whiteboard, to actually use whiteboarding inside? Yeah. And when I'm communicating with a sales leader around the value of partnering with Master Messaging, I whiteboard. And at the end of the call, 95% of the time, that sales leader will look at me and go, can you teach my salespeople how to do what you just did? And the reason that they're asking that question is because it was unique and different and nobody else is doing it. That's just one small example of how you can be unique in your ability to communicate value. The last mistake is actually the most damaging. And it's the one that causes uh, people to look at the sales profession you know, with an eye roll. Oh, you're one of those. Oh, you're in the sales world. And the, the reason for that is that we make the conversation all about us. We do this. We've been in business this long. We've got world-class customer service. We, 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 and I, I, I. And the person that you're having a conversation with, guess what they care about? Them. And so there's, there's one thing that you can do to help yourself be more focused on the point of view of the person that you're having a conversation with and not your own point of view. And that's to use you phrasing. So instead of saying, uh, you know, hey, Jack, I'm going to share with you the, the three mistakes that most salespeople uh, make in, in, in their role. You would hear me say something else. You would, you, you would hear me say, hey, Jack, what you're getting ready to hear, you're going to hear how salespeople make mistakes instead of I'm going to tell you how salespeople make mistakes. So this concept of you phrasing, it's very difficult to uh, weave into your conversation because we've been hardwired to look at the world that we live in from our point of view, which is why we say I and we. And the person that you're communicating with cares about them. And so when you say you, it triggers their brain to actually pay more attention to what's being said because you started the sentence with you instead of I or we. Outstanding. The other thing we hear a lot uh, is uh, something around value uh, propositions, but you've spun it a little bit, Dave. You talk about value positions. What's the difference? Yeah, what, so this one, this happened about, oh, gosh, about six years ago. I'm in a workshop um, about halfway through the day, and one of the salespeople raises their hand and says, hey, our value uh, proposition is... And then they gave me their value proposition. And Jack, I looked at them and I asked them, I, I just asked this question. I said, hey, why don't you know that there's value associated with that? And they, they were puzzled. They're, what do you mean? We just, I just told you the value proposition. I said, yeah, but proposition is a suggestion. You're proposing something. You're not taking a position around your value. So if you're clear that your product represents value to the uh, prospect that you're communicating with, Plant your flag around that. Take a position around that. 
make that the focal point of the conversation as, as opposed to saying our value proposition is or, or suggesting that we, we have a. So I could say something like, hey, there's a barbecue restaurant down the street. I'd propose to you. They, they've got pretty good barbecue. That's a lot different than me saying, Jack, if you come to Atlanta and you want the best barbecue, you need to go to that restaurant. That's taking a firm position. So that's, again, it's it's a little bit of a nuance, but it's important because salespeople need to be very, very clear and uh, and very anchored around the, the unique value that they represent. And it also allows you to customize the value proposition for that particular situation, which leads me to another point that I loved in the book. You talk about S, uh, sales conversation roadmap, S, C-R. I just love that, Dave. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so the sales conversation roadmap came uh, out of realizing that the first conversation that a sales uh, a professional has with a prospect is the most important. Because if you don't communicate value in that first conversation, there is no second, third, or fourth. Right. And so the uh, it led me on this journey of what needs to happen in this first conversation? And what's a simple tool or framework that salespeople can use to customize what they say, but still have it result in uh, communicating very high value? So the, the first step is understanding uh, how human beings perceive value. And this uh, actually comes out of the work of Daniel Kahneman, who's one of the uh, most brilliant uh, behavioral psychologists in the world today. So he won a Nobel Prize back in 2003, I think it was, in economics as a behavioral psychologist, which is unheard of. So the simplified explanation of how human beings per, uh, perceive value looks like this. It shows up in a contrasting worldview. So it's literally, Mr. and Mrs. Prospect, this is what your world looks like today without my product or service, contrasted against this is what your world could look like with my product and service. And it's in the side-by-side -side comparison of those two things that people perceive value. Now, in 11 years working with over 250 companies, I, I asked the question in every workshop, how do human beings perceive value? Because value is so important in the role of a sales professional and what they need to communicate. Jack, I've never gotten a right answer. Hmm. So I wanted to build a, a simple framework that would allow salespeople to create a custom conversation for each prospect that would accomplish this contrasting worldview. By the way, I'll give you a quick example of uh, contrast leading to value. Uh, I participate in a 50-mile bike ride to raise money for children with autism every year. We do it in July. Uh, it's up in Delaware where my uh, brother and sister-in-law live. And they drop us in the middle of Delaware on a rural road, and we ride 50 miles to the beach. Last year, the part of the road that they dropped us on, unbeknownst to the organizers of the race, they had just recently stripped it of its top, top coat. And if you know anything about riding a street bike, that's a recipe for disaster. We had five miles of stripped road that we're having to avoid rocks and pebbles and not blow up our tires. And after five miles, we hit the newly paved section of the road. And every one of the riders immediately exclaimed, oh my goodness, this is the smoothest road that I've ever ridden a bike on. They wouldn't have said that if we had started the race on the smooth road, because there would not have been any contrast. So the sales conversation roadmap, here's how it works. In order to build contrast in the mind of the person that you're communicating with, you need to start with the known challenges that, that exist in their world. 
And again, as a sales professional, you have conversation with prospects that have the same challenges every day. So please, Mr. or Mrs. Sales Professional, don't show up in an initial conversation and in the first few minutes, look at the prospect and go, hey, what keeps you awake at night? Because you just telegraph to them, I don't understand your world. I don't know anything about you. And that's not what you want to do if you're building credibility and trust. So go ahead and hold out to them. And by the way, don't say, hey, Jack, you've got a problem. You could say, hey, Jack, in talking with other bankers, here's what I'm hearing that they're challenged with. They're challenged with this in the economy. They're challenged this uh, you know, with a finite product or service. And they're challenged with this. And the impact of that, and, and now you can telegraph, here's how it's impacting your world. So you introduce the challenges, you introduce the impact, and then you ask a very important question. Jack, what does that look like in your world? And let them talk. Now, the other part of the sales conversation roadmap on the other side of the equation, after they've uh, answered some questions for you, now you can paint a picture of the, what their world could look like with your product or service. And you start that with just the simple statement of, hey, what if you could and then fill out the sentence of what they can do differently. After you've painted this picture, they're gonna want proof that it's actually real. So you need to provide some proof in a customer testimonial or maybe a software demo. Now they're gonna be interested in what the product is and does. So I'll give you a silly example of, of how this could play out. Let's say I show up at a, a cellular store one day and I tell the salesperson, hey, I'm one of those weird people that never wanted to have anything to do with a smartphone. I thought they were evil from the beginning, but I woke up today and I'm kind of curious, hey, what are smart smartphones all about? Here's what most of the salespeople would do. They'd go grab the latest iPhone off the, off the shelf and they go, you've never seen one of these? They're amazing. They've got gorilla glass, aluminum backing. It's got a 128 gigabit hard drive. It's got an eight, megabit, eight megapixel camera. And it all is in a form factor that's less than a pound. Don't you want one? Give me everything that it is and does, and I have no understanding of the value or meaning for me. Now, let's say I walk into a competing uh, cellular store that understands the sales conversation roadmap, understands how to build that, uh, that story arc and, and create value. And they just ask me, well, David, tell me a little bit about you and your world. Oh, okay. Well, I'm married. I have four adult children, and have, uh, uh, my oldest daughter just got married, moved out to Portland, Oregon. We live in Atlanta. And she just gave birth to our very first granddaughter named Charlotte. And the salesperson's listening to that and goes, well, how's that working out for you? Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. My wife is a, a, an emotional mess. She wants to get on a, you know, a five-hour flight every two weeks. It's expensive. She's gone. I'm upset. It's horrible. And so he looks at me and he, and, and he says, okay, I understand that. So what if you could see your granddaughter every day, just like she was standing right next to you? What if you could see her first steps or maybe more importantly for you, David, what if you could see the expression on her face the first time she says granddaddy? You can, it's called a smartphone. Do you want one? At that point, I would just say, hey, prove to me that's real. They'd pull up FaceTime, they'd show me how it works. And then I would ask the really important question, well, how much do they cost? If he said $10,000, I'd say I'd take two because of the perceived value for me in the way that he created the contrast around, you're frustrated, you can't see your uh, your uh, granddaughter, your, your wife can't be there to support her. And then all of a sudden he paints a better picture of what my world could look like with a smartphone. And you know what, Jack? Never said anything about the smartphone. Just painted this picture. 
So that's how you use the sales conversation roadmap. And again, it's such a simple formula, but the uh, the uh, impact of it in communicating unique value to, uh, again, the prospects and customers that you serve, no, I mean, it's priceless in, in being able to do that so easily. And for bankers, one of the things we talk about is uh, is something around our friends at Vertical IQ who sponsor this podcast. Um, and one of the things they talk about is 300 different profiles of 300 different industries and the challenges they face. If I'm a young banker or a branch manager and I don't have a lot of experience so I can tell the stories that you've told, um, I can go in there and I can say, you know, based on some of the research that I've done, mm -hmm. I found these three things about your industry that are kind of challenging. How does that relate to and, and goes right back into your sales conversation roadmap? That's outstanding. Well, uh, people remember somewhere between 70 to 80 percent when they hear something in a story and 5% in facts and numbers. You just told two stories that I think people can really relate to. One about anybody that has grandchildren knows that 10 grand is nothing compared to being able to see your grandchildren. And number two, the bike story. Mm -hmm. So people will go back to this podcast and they'll say, oh, I remember Dave, he's got that bike story. But Dave, a lot of salespeople aren't very good at this. And in the book, you talk about stories and hooks I'm curious about hooks and talk to me about why don't people do a better job telling stories? Yeah, you know, it, it, it is interesting. And, and by the way, um, at the end of a workshop or an engagement with a client, of course, master messaging, we're going to be asking them, hey, what, what did you like? What didn't you like? Uh, and overwhelmingly, the, the feedback that we get is that because the facilitator, more times than not me, um, incorporated so many stories into the day, they felt like it wasn't an, an eight to nine hour workshop. They felt like it was more like two to three hours. And they said, we, we can remember and apply everything that you taught because you uh, encapsulated in, into a story. So here's how you can do that. It's a, again, it's a very simple process, but it obviously is going to take a little bit of practice and a little, little bit of time to get good at it. So the the uh, one of the, the most impactful stories that you can tell is a personal story, and the reason for that is that it 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 opens up the relationship with the person that you're trying to build trust and credibility by sharing something about yourself. Now, in the business world, the important thing is that you have to tie that personal story to something that's relevant to the world of the person that you're having a conversation with. Okay. And so um, let's see if I can think of a good example real quick. So give me, I, I tell you what, let's, let's make this interactive. Give me a problem that bankers face in, in, in their role from a, from a sales profession standpoint. Um, the customer extends the sales process because they're looking at not only bank alternatives, but fintechs. Okay, so they're extending the uh, decision-making process. That's and for the banker, that can be frustrating because they're hoping to, to, to close that relationship sooner than later, but it keeps getting put off. Okay, so if I were having a conversation with a banker, I might say something like this. Um, you know, I was thinking about some of the challenges that you face uh, as, as I was preparing for our, our conversation today. And it reminded me of a, an experience I had not that long ago. Um, for years, I've had an arthritic right knee, and 
I'd been putting off treating it because I have a love for running. And I had an assumption that if I had a knee replacement, I wouldn't be able to run anymore. And so my initial conversation with uh, a surgeon, knee surgeon, uh, was like 10 years ago. And they looked at my, my arthritic right knee and they said, you need, you need to get a knee replacement. I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. So I exposed myself to more pain and suffering. I could continue to run. Um, and that, that's a whole different story because I, I, I shifted to barefoot running where I didn't have anything on my feet. Again, whole nother story. Um, but I was able to extend my running career, but I couldn't I couldn't go on a walk with my wife. I couldn't mow the yard. I couldn't do things throughout the normal course of day because of my arthritic right knee. So I made the decision two years ago to get in my uh, to get my knee repaired. And what I found is that the technology today is so much better than what I thought it was that it's not impacting my ability to run or do other exercises. So that's kind of like the challenges that you're facing in your world where uh, your, your prospects are putting off this decision. What they're putting off is the realization of the value that you can bring to them. And just like I, I didn't get to experience the value of a brand new knee, I could have experienced that eight years ago, but I put it off and waited when I shouldn't have. And that's that's a lot like the problem that you're seeing in your world where, again, your prospects are putting off this decision. Now, if you and I have an opportunity to work together, there are things that you can do in the conversation to create uh, a more of a sense of urgency in, in the same way that my physician created a sense of urgency for me to go ahead and get that knee replaced. So again, to unpack that, you have to understand what's the problem uh, that you're going to be addressing for the person that you're going to have a conversation with, and then look into your own life and find where did you experience a similar problem like that, and then tell the story around that. And and you and I could do this because we've done it for a long, long time. But if there's a younger salesperson who has never done this, um, they need some coaching around this. So I, I always say to bankers, when you're going on a sales call, two things. Number one, image what might happen. What might that buyer say? Mm -hmm. And then how would you tell a story around that? Because if you're 29 years old, 35 years old, and haven't had many sales opportunities, uh, and somebody says a particular issue, the only way to address it is by what you know, and that's back to your products again. But if you can image this and, and kind of see, okay, well, I would tell this story. What happens if you don't have a story? I think it goes right back to coaching. A good coach will have sales meetings and they'll say, okay, you don't have these stories, but here are a couple of stories the bank has or a couple of stories that Bell South has that you can tell. Now, it sounds all good, but let's put it in your voice. Let's role play it. Let's say it. Talk about it to each other. We don't do enough of that, Dave. We, we don't invest enough time in ourselves to be able to, when the rubber meets the road, when we're out with a buyer, to, mm -hmm. to make that happen. And you never get a second chance to make a first impression. You already talked about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and again, that goes back to some of the things that we've touched on uh, earlier. And that's, you know, preparation. Be unique and different. Uh, invest the time in preparation for every conversation that you're having. And part of that is just out of respect for the person that you're going to be meeting with. Don't, you know, I... Yeah, we experience this sometimes when we go in to see doctors. They're just so rote in what they're doing. It's this, 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 this. I found a doctor that that is so personable and so involved in my life 
that actually look forward to going to see him because he's so different from a lot of the physicians that I've experienced in my past. Yeah, that's really true. And, and you talk about discovery call, but one of the things that you and I both know, it, no matter what the industry, unless it's a quick transactional thing, uh, it, it, it's discovery calls. And that sales conversation roadmap for the first call that earns you the right to the second one very likely has to change. And so as you get deeper into discovery calls, what you're thinking is, I got an opportunity here to earn this, earn this business. So you go in and you make a solution presentation, and now's when the negotiation starts to happen. Mm. And you write an eloquent chapter on negotiation. What's going on there? Yeah, you know, for salespeople, they need to recognize that um, there, there's there's three different functions to move a prospect from uh, aware, awareness of your product to the sales part to negotiation. Okay, so negotiation is not selling, and that's the first thing that a salesperson needs to understand. Your focus on negotiation is for the two of you to walk away satisfied the two of you to walk away going okay i got i got the financial uh transaction that is really that really you know, again puts the value to the product or service that i represent and the person that you're communicating with the prospect feels like they got a good deal that's the goal so you shouldn't be selling anymore and uh some of the common mistakes that salespeople make is they're, they're so focused on the sale they know the margins that they can offer or the discounts that they can offer. And they're like, ah, I'll just give Jack the biggest discount and let's get this deal done, right? They just go right to the bottom line. Well, there's a couple problems with that. If the prospect comes back to you and says, okay, what more can you do? You got nowhere to go, right? So you're, you're, you're at the bottom. Um, the other thing that can happen is that can communicate to the prospect you don't really have the conviction around the value of what it is that you're selling because you just dropped the, the, the price dramatically. So what you want to do is understand whatever that discount uh, uh, amount is. Let's say it's 15%. So the first negotiation should maybe drop at 5%. Okay. And if they come back and go, nah, I still need a little bit more, then go maybe 3%, then maybe 2%. Guess what you're communicating to the prospect? Hey, I'm about to hit that bottom level of where I can go and discount because it keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that actually feels okay on the other side of the equation because they feel like, okay, this is working well. The other thing that you want to pay attention to is if a prospect ever asks you for something, you can ask them for something in return. This happened with a, uh, it's a cybersecurity software company based out of Tel Aviv, a recent client of ours. Uh, in the negotiation uh, stage, the CRO said, I really need to get to this number. This, this is where our budget is. I really need to get to this number. And I said, okay, I would be willing to do that if you would make three introductions on the, on the tail end of our engagement. If you walk away more than satisfied, not just satisfied, but more than satisfied, you make an introduction to three qualified opportunities that you believe would benefit from our services. We got to the end of the engagement. Of course, I looked him in the eye and I said, were you satisfied? He goes, you blew away my expectations. I said, okay, be looking forward to those three introductions. Guess who he introduced me to? One of them was the um, uh, venture capital firm 
that invested in their company in, in like their third round. It's a very large firm based out of Australia called Macquarie Capital. And in that introduction, I now have three of the Macquarie Capital uh, portfolio companies that they've now introduced me into to do some work for. So again, I felt good about that. I got value from it. Um, I didn't get the, you know, the, the price point that I was looking at, but I got something of, of equal or greater value as a result of that negotiations. Absolutely. And I've always said, in the absence of value, price is always the issue. And you talked about that very early on. And there's a, there's a great example of a win-win negotiation. Your client got tremendous value because you were there. And you got tremendous client value because you were there and you got some referrals. Well, I want to talk about referrals before we before we end, because I've got a couple more questions. Sure. So one of the things that that I find that that some folks are still a little reluctant to use or don't use as well is LinkedIn. And you talk about it in the book. And I want to frame it around referrals and finding opportunities and providing value. How are you using LinkedIn uh, and what do you talk about in the book around LinkedIn? Yeah, you know, LinkedIn, it, it's um, it's interesting because it's changed a lot in the last three to five years. Um, we started being very intentional about the use of LinkedIn five years ago when uh, a lot of sales professionals weren't really leveraging LinkedIn. Uh, and LinkedIn, for the most part, historically, has been viewed as an online resume, right? It's a place where you can build your, here's all the things that I've done in my career. And, and if you're interested in hiring me, you can go and see all of that. Well, from a prospecting standpoint or from a referral standpoint, there's a problem with that because a, a prospective client of master messaging doesn't care that I've worked for Bell South and career builder and, you know, all these different courts. They don't care about that. They care about what I can do for them or the value that they can get from a relationship with me. So one of the first things that we did is we changed the profile of uh, our, our employees to read more like a landing page or marketing page for sales leaders. So Jack, if you go and read anything about my profile, you're gonna hear, you're, you're gonna see content specific to the sales world or the sales leader. It's all about them. The other, the other thing that's happened is that, uh, business development reps or sales reps will reach out to you and wanna connect with you. And as soon as they connect with you, guess what they do? Pitch. Right. Hey, Jack, I got something I want to sell you. Can we have a meeting? <laughs> right. And you know what that feels like uh, in a social network, which LinkedIn is, even though it's more geared towards business professionals. Here's what that feels like. It'd be like me being invited to a dinner party at your house. I don't know anybody in the room other than you. And I quickly find out that one of your guests is the president of a software company that has a sales team of about 50 people. And 10 seconds into the conversation, when I first learned that, I look at them and go, oh, my goodness, I've got a sales consulting company. I need to come train your salespeople. Hey, let's talk about how that would work and what the pricing would be. In a social setting, that president would look at me and probably slap me in the face and like, what are you doing? We're, we're here to have dinner with Jack and his wife and, and, you know, have fun. That's what it feels like when salespeople do that inside of LinkedIn, because they haven't done the most important thing. And that is communicate some value. In, in other words, hold out something of value in that relationship. 
And so, if, again, going back to the social setting, if I have a conversation with the uh, the president of a software company, you know, I might ask a question around, you know, hey, I'm curious um, for your software engineers, yeah, you know, so what are some of the challenges that they're bumping up against in in rightly communicating their value? Oh, they're doing this, this, and this. Hey, well, here's a suggestion: have them try this instead. Before they ever show something in a software demonstration, have them ask the prospect how they're doing it today. Oh, oh yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's great. And then, so what did I just do there? I wasn't expecting anything in return. I didn't say I've got a sales consultancy. I didn't say anything about doing uh, work for them. I just gave them something of value. Now, what may happen in a social setting like that is they may turn around and go, well, that's very interesting. How did you come, how did you come across that? Oh, well, I did, you know, all this research in behavioral psychology as it, as it impacts sales. And actually, I've got a consulting company that you know, helps sales organizations like yours. Oh, well, you need to come in and talk to our salespeople. That's a lot different than what's happening inside of LinkedIn today. So for anybody that's listening to your podcast, here's what you should be doing. If you make a connection with somebody like Jack, you need to find out what's important to Jack. And you need to maybe research an article about uh, top three trends in, in the banking world for 2023. And then share that with Jack. Hey, Jack, I, I know we just recently connected. I ran across this article. I thought there might be some value uh, for you in it. Just let me know what you think. Do that a couple of times and then circle back and go, hey, I think there's an opportunity for you to be able to do something like this in your world. Let's have a conversation as to how that can happen. And if your listeners are paying attention to what, what they just heard me say, I didn't say anything about what I do. What I, what I would say is, hey, Jack, um, I think there's an opportunity for you to, to uh, increase the number of people that you move through your, your buying process by about 20%. I think there's an opportunity for you to do that. Uh, let's have a conversation about how that would look. Again, I wouldn't say, hey, I think there's an opportunity for me to train your salespeople. Because that's about me. That's not about you. So for your listeners, you have to come up with these value position statements of uh, what your prospects can do differently because of access to your unique uh, product or service. And you need to hold those things out in the communication that you're creating. Well, that's that's spot on, Dave. And I and I my business partner, Brent Tillman, uh, always says uh, connect and pitch is a bait and switch. And that's, mm -hmm. what, you, that's what you just talked about. Um, well, this has been uh, your, your point earlier about your training going from eight hours to two and feeling like this went really fast. This time went really fast and I really appreciate it. And I hope that everybody uh, gets out and reads this book, um, uh, Six Times Convert More Prospects to Customers. It's really outstanding. But Dave, you, you, you're a reader. Look, look behind you. I mean, you read. Um, who else influences you? Who else are you reading or hearing on podcasts that maybe our listeners would benefit from? Yeah, Dan Pink would be, would easily be my favorite author. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of books that that, that I would rec recommend to sell as human, uh, especially in the banking world. I don't know if you've run across this, but when I end up working for uh, attorneys or CPAs, they don't like to have somebody come in and teach them how to sell because they, they they hear the word sell and they're thinking, well, I'm not a sales guy. I'm a lawyer. Right. 
And what Dan does so brilliant, brilliant, brilliantly in his book, To Sell as Human, is he identifies that it doesn't matter what profession you're in inside of corporate America, 40% of your time is going to be spent convincing or communicating with another human being around an idea or a topic that you want them to agree on. Guess what that's called? It's called selling. Hmm. So, so to sell is human. Uh, the other book that I like from Dan Pink is called Drive. So it's all about uh, motivation, what motivates people. Again, these are things that go into, obviously, the sales profession. you got to understand what's motivating the person that I'm having a conversation with. Um, another one, uh, John Medina, a molecular biologist that wrote an amazing book called Brain Rules. So he, uh, he, he breaks down the, the function of the human brain into 10 basic principles, 10 basic functions of the human brain. And one of the things that shows up in there is this whole topic of whiteboarding. Um, so in the research that he did, if you have a verbal conversation with somebody, best case scenario, two days later, they'll remember about 20% of what you said. If you can anchor that same conversation around a visual image, they'll remember over 70% of what you said. So there's some very important principles in that book, Brain Rules, that sales professionals need to pay attention to. Wow. Well, Dave Kirchin, this this time went by like nobody's business. And uh, boy, I hope people do a lot of business with you. Um, and to in that regard, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in working with you? Yeah, the, the simplest thing to do would be to go to our website, and that's mastermessaging.com. Uh, on the website, you can also uh, buy the book, 6X Convert More uh, Prospects to Customers. Uh, we also have an online course that was recently developed for individual contributors that may not be a part of a sales organization that we would come in and work uh, work with. But all of that can be found on mastermessaging.com. And if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, it's David Kirchin. Uh, and, and again, one of the only David Kirchins inside of LinkedIn, uh, and that's due to my Ar Armenian uh, heritage. And uh, again, obviously a very, uh, very unique last name. Well, Dave, thanks so much for your time and good luck to the Atlanta Braves. I, you know, they're, they're a fine team and just far and away better than most, most teams in baseball. And the city of Atlanta certainly deserves that. It's a great town. And uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers with my guest, Dave Kurgeon. This and every program is brought to you by our good friends at RelPro and Vertical IQ. Join us next time for more special guests bringing you marketing, sales, and leadership insights and ideas that will provide your bank or credit union that competitive edge you need to succeed. This LinkedIn show is also a podcast. Subscribe and get the latest episodes of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers podcasts. Leave us a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Visit our website too. It's themodernbanker.com and you'll get more information. And don't forget about that public library, themodernbanker.com slash public library with more than a hundred resources, podcasts, eBooks, webinars, and much more for your listening and dancing pleasure. And as I say at the end of every program, make today and every day a great client day.